following messages were presented during the Friends of Israel 2009 Prophecy Conferences. It should be noted that a few of our speakers presented their messages with the aid of PowerPoint. I'd like to uh, look at the doctrinal justifications of radical Islam this morning for your understanding. And of course it's in the context of our base of knowledge uh, about the Word of God. Uh, back on 9-11 of 01, I gave three messages on Islam at our national conferences. In Willow Valley, Pennsylvania, the closing day of the conference was September 11th of 01. And that morning, the planes came into the World Trade Center towers. Uh, the plane went down in western Pennsylvania then, and the, the bombing uh, of the uh, Pentagon as, as well. Uh, about four years later, I discussed radical Islam at our national conference, and now we're about four years later again, and I wanted to focus one message on that, believing the Lord has led me there this morning. Um, just last week, as you were preparing and I was preparing to come to Winona Lake, there was a conference in Chicago. Some of you undoubtedly have heard about it. It was a conference by the radicals of Islam. Islamists got together, and 300 of them, and their conference was entitled, by the way, at the um, Hilton Hotel in Oaklawn, Illinois. The conference was entitled, The Fall of Capitalism and the Rise of Islam. One speaker was engaging in a dialogue with an audience, a member of the audience. And by the way, this was infiltrated by Steve Emerson and his group. Steve Emerson wrote, and we market, the book, uh, Jihad in America. The audience member said, would you get, and he was asking the speaker, would you get rid of the Constitution for Sharia law, the most restrictive form of tyranny in the lives of people, Islamic law? Would you get rid of the Constitution of the United States for Sharia law, yes or no? Yes, the Constitution would be gone. That was the speaker. And so, audience member, if the United States was a Muslim world, the, the Constitution would be gone? Yes, Muslims who are here would be calling and happy to see Sharia law applied. And the Constitution gone? Yes, that's their goal. That's their objective. And they do not intend to merely do it by peaceful means. And so I want you to look this morning with me at um, the doctrinal justifications that radical Islam uses to pursue its agenda. Background to jihad. It was a term that came, into, um, came to my attention uh, mostly in connection with the Oslo Accords of 1993. That's when Prime Minister Rabin of Israel sat down and hammered out an agreement with Yasser Arafat. We remember it well. Uh, the agreement specified that there were a number of mutual steps that were to be taken between Israel and the Palestinians, and that these would be confidence-building steps that would eventually lead to a settlement of, uh, of the, the uh, most important issues, all of the issues uh, that were sources of disagreement between Israel and the Palestinians. And we can remember at the time, I remember when 
uh, Shimon Perez, who is an elderly uh, but always there politician in Israel. I can remember when Sharon Perez said, this is the new Middle East. Well, yeah, maybe. <laughs> we hope so, whatever, whatever. Three days later, Yasser Arafat was down in Africa speaking, calling for jihad. Jihad, jihad, jihad. That's what he said. Well, the dominant media in the United States then had to scramble. Wait a minute. This is a new Middle East. He just signed a peace accord. What does he mean by jihad? And they came up with a, an attempt to redefine what was the, the primary meaning of jihad, which was a violent meaning. And now the, the media is telling us that he couldn't possibly mean violence against Israel that he was talking about perhaps a struggle inside of himself or perhaps a, uh, you know, a struggle for peace. And we remember this. We remember these ways that our liberal media tried to accommodate itself to Yasser Arafat calling for jihad. And, and it, you know, would it be a contest of ideas and a peaceful struggle within? Well, one thing was clear. Seven years later, uh, when he declared the intifada in the year 2000 against Israel, the uprising, the formal uprising, uh, it was only then uh, and uh, at that point that certain uh, leaders in the United States finally agreed that this was a seven-year mistake. I hear it frequently called in the Jewish world a seven-year mistake. Well, the Oslo Accords, the attempts to redefine jihad, but what I'm saying this morning is there is a, an operational meaning of the word jihad today that is very clear in the literature of Islam, and that is it is a violent meaning. It's in their, um, uh, it's in their writings. It's in the names of their terror groups. Uh, it is not a peaceful struggle but it is war against the infidels. Believe me, Islamic Jihad as an organization would not call itself Jihad if it was a peaceful struggle within or waging of nonviolent means of struggle. Islamic Jihad, war against the infidels, and it's theologically justified a big point of what I need to share with you this morning. It is being justified within Islam as a, a theological principle that is really taking over and embedded uh, in the religion itself. So we need not to be falling for the trap of those who would try to disconnect the word Islam from terror. Because the fact of the matter is that what we have viewed, what we are viewing on the world scene is Islamic terror, and the two are connected. Some illustrations of that uh, Islamic terrorism uh, against America, and by the way, when terminology here, um, there are a number of terms we can use that I think accurately describes the violent nature of what's going on. Uh, one of them is jihad, or a jihadist being the person, 
another one is an Islamist. If we're talking about an Islamist, that captures the idea of, uh, of violence. Islamic terrorism, radical Islam, all of those terms I think can be used interchangeably to describe the same phenomenon in Islam. And that is the increasingly radical nature of it all and its uh, propensity for violence. Um, against America, a number of things have happened and we can recall them over the years. Um, embassy bombings uh, around the world, bombings of American hotels in other countries, our planes have been attacked, our ships have been attacked, our military barracks have been attacked, uh, our, our military forces themselves have been attacked, our ambassadors have been held hostage, and these are the manifesta manifestations of terror which did not begin on 9-11. It certainly became uh, much more obvious to all of us on 9-11. But it began back in the 1970s. It has traveled for 30 uh, or more years, 30 plus years, through five administrations in the United States. It wasn't until the last administration, George Bush, that the administration began to look at Islamic terrorism, uh, not as a series of isolated incidents, uh, but part of a plan, and that what we were facing uh, was a, a violent uh, ideology, and we were at war, in fact, with that violent ideology. Now, unfortunately, in this administration, in the Obama administration, it seems to be sliding right back into the idea of, well, it's, we just need a police action against it. No, 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 no. It is part of a worldwide plan to subject and subvert the world to Islam. But 9-11 uh, came. Attacks on New York City, on D.C. The plane went down in western Pennsylvania. It w was on its way back to, to D.C. Not isolated incidents. Part of a plan. Now, they did ju not just sort of happen by incident, or incidentally, but in 1998, a fatwa was signed by five Muslim clerics. A fatwa is a religious degree in Islam. It was given the force of truth by five leading Islamic clerics. I want to read from that fatwa. Peace be upon our prophet Muhammad who said, I have been sent with a sword between my hands to ensure that no one but Allah is worshipped. All these crimes and sins committed by the Americans are a clear declaration of war on Allah, his messenger Muhammad, and Muslims. On that basis and in compliance with Allah's order, we issue the following fatwa, religious decree, to all Muslims. Quote, the ruling to kill the Americans and their allies, civilians and military, is an individual duty for every Muslim who can do it in any country in which it is possible to do. There's the fatwa. It was carried out in a massive way on 9-11 here on American soil. Well, with many illustrations against America, but there are also quite a number of illustrations 
of how Islamic terrorism is being used against the Jewish people. May 20th, here in the United States, four jihadists were arrested in New York City before they were ready to attack two synagogues. And it was the, remember, it was the Upper East Side, I believe, of Manhattan, uh, up that way in New York City. And Daniel Pipes has documented quite a number of attacks upon the Jewish people here in the United States. See if you remember some of these going back over the years. Some you will, some you may not. In March of 1997, Muslims seized three buildings in Washington, including the headquarters of B'nai B'rith, Jewish organization, advocacy organization, held hostages for 39 hours. Uh, there was one death. November of 1990, Rabbi uh, Meir Kahani was assassinated in a New York City hotel by a jihadist. I remember that one. Um, in February of 93, the mastermind of the bombing of the World Trade Center in New York, that was the first world, remember? First World Trade Center bombing, claimed seven lives, injured more than a thousand people. He declared the World Trade Center was not a civilian target, but a military one, because it might include Jews. That's what he said. Why New York City? That's an interesting point. Why so much of this is centered on New York City? Because New York City represents the largest Jewish population of any city in the world. New York City and its suburbs, two million Jewish people. More than uh, Jerusalem and Tel Aviv put together. <laughs> That's why New York City. And it goes on. In uh, June of 93, boom, broken windows, Jews in the streets. That's how one of the plotters described what they had planned as a day of terror in New York City on the subways, the Lincoln Tunnel, Holland Tunnel, and so on. It didn't happen, it was foiled. March of uh, 1994, uh, a jihadist opened fire on a van carrying Orthodox Jewish boys over the Brooklyn Bridge. One was killed. July of 97, a Palestinian shot seven tourists atop the Empire State Building. New York City, again and again and again. Jihadists, always treated. You notice how these were always treated as isolated incidents. It's part of a grand scheme. July of 97, near explosion of a pipe bomb in New York City, in the New York City subway system. July of 02, remember the attack on the El Al counter in Los Angeles? El Al is the national airlines of Israel. And uh, there was a uh, uh, open uh, fire um, uh, attack, uh, killing two people by a jihadist. Um, a plot in September of 05 against two uh, Los Angeles area synagogues disrupted, fortunately, due to a dropped mobile phone. And then what happened just two months ago in New York City. I've been to a number of these Jewish organizations, uh, such as the American Jewish Committee in New York City, where you just look at the place, and it, it looks like uh, um, an armed fort. I mean, there are, there are concrete barriers out front. You can't pull up cars near it. And, and, and we find this throughout the whole infrastructure of the Jewish world in the United States. They're having to defend themselves against these terrorists, against these jihadists. And even uh, as Jewish people go to their synagogues, uh, many of them 
think about the issue and think about the fact that they are being targeted by Islamists. Well, there's a support system of terrorism, and um, we have someone who has uh, done a great service, uh, claims still to be a Muslim, but I'm sure they want his scalp. Uh, Dr. Tawfiq Hamid has written a book called Inside Jihad, Understanding and Confronting Radical Islam, and it is really uh, very excellent. He's done a number of things that are very, very helpful. Um, one of the things he, he says, the reason uh, or the support system that causes this terrorism to flourish and all, he said, is one word, indoctrination. And that indoctrination, in his book, he describes as taking three forms. First of all, promoting in the Islamic world an infrastructure of hatred toward infidels, toward non-Muslims. And it's in the books, it's on television, it's in the Friday sermon. We have no idea what those Friday sermons in, in, in Arabic are in mosques across the world. Uh, but they are, they are, many of them are raw hatred against America, raw hatred uh, against the Jewish people. So they, uh, they indoctrinate by promoting hatred, they do it by praising acts that are at odds with what you and I, and certainly would be biblical standards of decency. For example, it is mainstream Islamic literature to promote the killing of apostates meaning non-Muslims. It is mainstream Islamic literature to promote the stoning of women who misbehave. And it is mainstream, believe it or not, Islamic literature to praise Muhammad for marrying, at age 52, a girl who is seven years old. That is laced throughout the literature. And so it's promotion, it's praise of wrong things, it's violent expert exhortations that good Muslims, to be a really good Muslim, must in fact do jihad. And so that is the support structure of terrorism. Now, real quickly, um, by the way, I, I mentioned uh, on point three here, the alleged root causes of radical Islam, uh, Dr. Tawfiq, there's a misprint. Uh, his last name is spelled H-A-M-I-D, H-A-M-I-D. And he mentions the, uh, the uh, alleged root causes of radical Islam, and then he goes forward, he said, poverty? No way, he said, many of the Islamic uh, leaders, Islamist radical leaders are very wealthy people. It's not poverty that causes them, it's not discrimination. Many of the Islamists come from uh, countries where they are not discriminated, Saudi Arabia. Muslims are not discriminated against in Saudi Arabia. Lack of education, not true. Many of the suicide bombers were highly educated people. Absence of democracy. It wasn't the absence of democracy in the United Kingdom where Muslims, homegrown, who knew what democracy was, decided to bomb the subways. Um, United States foreign policy. Guess where that's a biggie? as a, you know, alleged cause of radical Islam. That's a biggie on campus, on campuses throughout the United States. And uh, he goes on to uh, 
uh, to deal with that uh, as well. It does not hold water. Um, the idea there is, oh, you know, American influence and tyranny over, over countries causes frustration among Muslims. Yet many of the homegrown terrorists are from Saudi Arabia, where there is no American influence over Saudi Arabia. Virtually none to speak of. And then finally, the Arab-Israeli conflict. Now, this is a biggie with the anti-Israel crowd, because they whip Israel with this one and, and blame radical Islam on the uh, Arab-Israeli conflict. And, and who has bought into that? You, you just feel, I can feel it with President Obama. Some of his statements tell me he has bought into the idea that the Arab-Israeli conflict, if we can just solve that, everything will be fine with Iran and, you know, and the rest of the radicals in that world. And um, uh, uh, Tawfiq uh, Hamid uh, deals with this in his book. I wanted to mention some of the theological justifications of the jihadists. Now, there are a variety of texts that um, Islam uses. The first three that I mention are non-Quranic. In other words, they are, they are not the Quran. Uh, they may be the words and deeds of Muhammad, the Hadith, the, the, the Sunnah, they're big. Uh, it's a large body of world tradition. The Hadiths, S plural, is a large body of oral tradition that has been written uh, up and Muslims follow those things. Um, and it is laced with violence. Uh, <clears throat> the uh, Sunnah are the specific words and deeds of Muhammad within the larger body of uh, the Hadith. And then there are writings by disciples of Muhammad and there are commentaries on the Quran, and it goes on and on and on. And there is so much violence uh, promoted in these bodies of literature that Muslims are reading all the time. But I'd like to turn with specifics to the Quran itself and read you some of the sample texts that show, for example, in the Quran. And by the way, what is the Quran? It is to Muslims, uh, the literal word of Allah transmitted to Muhammad by, the, prof, by uh, the angel Gabriel. And so it is the key book. It is um, Islam's uh, revelation uh, from God. In fact, the month Ramadan is in honor of that revelation in the Quran, Quranic revelation, and it is the Bible to, uh, to Muslims. It's organized into 144 chapters. Uh, they are called surahs, S-U-R-A, surah, surahs, chapters, and then into uh, several thousand uh, verses. But first of all, I'm going to read to you specific commands from the Quran to fight and kill unbelievers. Surah, meaning chapter 4, verse, verse 89, Smite them and slay them wherever, they, wherever you find them. This is the one that was quoted by Osama bin Laden in the fatwa, the religious decree, to kill Americans signed in 1998. Surah 9, verse 29. Fight those who believe not in Allah. 
So we have these specific, and I've just picked out a couple. There are many more. But also in the Quran, Jews are held in contempt. Surah 5.51 says, Take not the Jews for your friends, and he among you who turns to them in friendship, for friendship is of them. Jews are held in contempt. The negative attitudes toward the Jewish people. Another surah, surah 5, verse 82. Strongest among men in enmity to the Muslims, you will find the Jews. And so you find this, this laced uh, aggression or hatred or negative, negativity about Jews. They also, in the Quran, um, uh, hold us in high disregard as Christians. Surah 5.17 says this, In blasphemy indeed are those who say that God is Christ, the Son of Mary. That's how they feel about us. Surah 5, verse 22. They do blaspheme who say that God is one of three in a trinity. So we fully need to understand, as I've just pointed out ever so briefly here in some of these references this morning, that there is strong theological support for violence in Islam. It is not only in the writings which are outside of the Quran, but it is in the Quran itself. And uh, with specific references to Jews and to Christians in the most negative of senses. Well, I think about these things and, um, and think how we compare and contrast uh, what we see in Islam and the emphasis of Islam with um, the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ and with, the God, with his gospel. Uh, the emphasis of Islam and in its writings and in its Quran is a fight and kill emphasis. What is the emphasis in the Bible? What is the emphasis in the gospel of Jesus Christ? The emphasis is a believe and live. What a difference. Fight and kill, believe and live. A huge difference. On the issue of heaven, what does Islam say? Islam says, die for Allah and you're assured of heaven. Die for Allah. You die. Jesus says, I died for you so you can go to heaven. What a difference. What a blessed difference. On the issue of our sons. Islam says, give your sons for Allah. Make them suicide bombers. We'll honor them. We'll name streets after them. Give your sons for Allah. Christianity says, and the Bible says, God gave his son for us. What a blessed difference, and what a contrast that is just unbelievable. Well, the gospel of God's grace it is so fundamentally different and so fundamentally wonderfully different than the emphasis of Islam and the theological and doctrinal justifications that we are witnessing today for the violence that we're seeing around the world. 
But our gospel is so unique. God called out a people, the Jewish people, and through this people, he gave the world a book, the Bible, his revelation, and through this same people, he provided a Messiah, his son, the Lord Jesus Christ to be our Savior, and his sacrificial death in our place, in my place, and in your place, showed God's great love for us personally. And as we believe, and I trust all of you are in that camp, but if you're not, you can be today, as we believe in him, we too will be raised to life as he was. And he's coming again, he's coming as the Prince of Peace, without whom there will be no lasting peace in this world. Peace between man and God, or peace among men, it just will not be there without him but he is it he's the gospel he is so wonderfully different from what we are observing in radical islam and in islam today father we thank you that we can come this morning as believers in jesus christ with a liberty and freedom that the world doesn't know but father we know that with that goes great responsibility on our part Perhaps there are some here, Father, who know Muslims personally and can be a source of light and truth into their lives. And then, Father, for all of us, to all the people around us, that you may use us for your glory, that we may be the beacons of light that you intended us to be in this world in which we live, as we pray in the name and, and for the sake of our wonderful Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.